Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Hi, this is Jim White, and thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. On today's episode, myself and Simon discuss the reports that Manchester United's takeover could be in danger of collapse. However, Simon explains that he thinks it's just a natural part of the bidding process. We also look ahead to England's match against Italy and question whether or not Gareth Southgate and Harry Maguire are good enough to take England forward. Now, before I forget, I mean, normally I have a chat on the way around the road, Simon, as you know, to a few uh, listeners of our our show, a few of the viewers. This morning, I have to say, took the biscuit. Uh, I had about four or five different conversations. It seems everybody saw your tussle with Eddie Hearn the other day. Ah. Abbas, if you're listening, my friend, you love the show. I'm thrilled about that. He was in a gym watching it, as were most of the people in a gym. Uh, And everybody was laid back for work because they were debating who came out on top, what was said, uh, how well did Simon do, how well did Eddie do. Honestly, the fallout from this has well, been remarkable. I, I imagine it's quite an intriguing story. I mean, t- t- what I would urge people to do is go and perhaps look at Adam Catchell's podcast called The Fight Disciples. Yeah. And then you can evaluate exactly what Eddie Hearn did and didn't say and exactly how much uh, integrity and substance behind what he said was. Because yeah. you've got a very... I, list, I looked at it this morning because I, I saw someone post it and looked at it and Adam Catchell and his Fight Disciples podcast have gone through... Line by line, everything that Eddie Hearn said. Very interesting. Pretty much what I already know, but then again, I don't know as much as Eddie, of course, because I wouldn't do because he's been a boxing promoter for 20 years. Yeah. But what I can tell you is it'll break it down for those that are interested if they want to actually understand the reality of what the situation is. Well, what Eddie is saying in the last uh, hour, if Fury against Usyk doesn't get made, and we we now know Mm. that that's going to be off, and AJ gets past Franklin... Fury versus AJ, Wilder versus Usyk, winner v winner for Undisputed. Look, I mean, I don't know about you, but I find uh, the business of sport quite interesting and quite intriguing having been in it. Mm. I find the more I look at it, despite my absolute enthusiasm for this sport, 
the more I find boxing quite an unpalatable space of disinge- you know, disingenuity and people that say they're going to do something and never seem to do it. And I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. I know it's show business. I know that all the moving parts are difficult for people to put together. But there's such an undeserving sport because these guys are getting paid inordinate amounts of money. They're living on currency, which most of the time is talk. Yeah. Most of the time they don't tell the truth. And when, they do, and, when, and when you confront them with not telling the truth, they blather or try and BS you around it. And now you've got fights <laughs> that can't be made. And it's, it is wrong. And, when you, and what you start seeing is you're going to see spaces being creeped in for sports like UFC and MMA to start taking the mantle because people are going to say, well, at least I know where I stand with that sport. And well, then you're going right. to see people like Diana White yeah. that are going to turn around and say, I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll get involved in boxing because these guys are clowns. Yeah, sure. Well, you, you might be right about that, Simon, because Dana White's been speaking overnight in the US and we'll get to that later on. Anyway, Gareth A. Davis is going to join us and we will talk boxing from uh, from 11.30, is it? Yeah, 11.30 this morning. Simon, what's going on with um, Manchester United and this takeover? Is a Manchester United takeover on a collision course for collapse or are we seeing negotiation tactics being played out? As far as I gather, and I'm trying to look through all of this at the moment, Sir Jim Ratcliffe and uh, the Qataris in the in the form of Sheikh Yassim are in there. It appears both have bid, not enough, go away, have a think, come back. Yep. Both are going to come back, but both have requested uh, more time. Yeah. And it's my understanding they've been given more time with no new deadline. The mm-hmm. Qataris asked for an extension first. Sir Jim then asked for an extension yesterday. If the, uh, Apparently, the latest is, if the Glazers get what they want, if yeah. the price is right, they will definitely sell. But we've all said that, haven't we? We've always said from the get-go that if they get what they want, forget about the fact that they'll play hide-and-seek with themselves. If they get the price that they want, and it's probably, like I've said for a number of times, slightly north of five million. It certainly is five billion. It certainly isn't seven billion. Now, there's a lot of misrepresentation in this. No one's getting extensions because ultimately no one expected anyone to put a drop-dead deal in place. What you've got is indicative offers. That's the first stage. Show you've got the money. Show you've got the means. Show you've got the will. Right? That gets you in the door. So that then slims down the list from all the tire kickers. Then so you get a, a position where people start to get into a competitive tension which basically means the rain group are doing their ultimate job which is the representation of the glazers trying to jack the price up between the various people that want to buy it and keep pushing them together to create a competitive tension to jack the price up it's not about deadlines there's a process of selling a business the reasons why this is finding so much yin and yang in it is because the media are pulling at the strings and the rain group are using the media to create the competitive but tension you need some kind of deadline you, no, surely you, not really because it can drag on into well, the summer hold on if we establish the point, it can drag on as long as it wants to until the Glazers get their price, right? Because this is not set by deadlines. It's not set by the, an administrator saying, if you don't pay this bill, the club's going to go into administration. This is set by commercial gain. And if it takes six months to sell a business because you're playing two sides against one another, that's what it'll take. What you have is an, you have an indicative position, then you have a schedule of how you'd like to complete this deal. And during that schedule, people will be looking at the books, they'll be looking at the market positioning, they'll be looking at the structuring, they'll be looking at the delisting of Man United from the New York Stock Exchange. There'll be a whole raft of things. There might even be looking at additional need for additional funding from other funders that come in to supplement the deal so they can go back to the table with a bigger offer. All of that will be going in the background. And then you'll have a schedule of people trying to complete the deal in a certain timeline. But it will not be hard and fast deadlines. It will not be the extension of deadlines because there won't be a deadline. There will be a wish list of how we would like to sell this business. Right. And that's how it will work. Well, here's a fairly straightforward question, though. What happens to Manchester United's transfer window if the takeover saga extends into the summer? Nothing. Manchester United is a going concern, generating four or five hundred million pounds a year, and they'll spend what they spend. And if they spend two hundred million pounds in the transfer window, and the owner, the new owners coming in, get the benefit of that, then maybe they'll add that to the price. So if if the new owner isn't in 
I mean, it's almost not, inconceivable but, but, but to think. Sli- but if, if he's not in by the next window, it doesn't really matter. Well, it will not make one scintilla of difference unless you believe that Manchester United are going to do what Todd Bowley did, which is create a new economic model of spending £600 million in three months. If you believe the new owners are going to do that, then 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 maybe you have a case, but they're not, because yeah. the whole dynamics of football financing and football financial fair play is about to change anyway. So it will not... Manchester United will not have one scintilla of impact besides the last chance saloon gang that'll be saying we want the Glazers out yeah and when you get the next guys in that don't do precisely what you want them to do because they will not they'll be the next one to be told to get out as well I'm getting some information on this as we speak Um, uh, and I'll put it to you you can bounce it back at me only the Glazers know the asking price correct? Mm -hmm. of course even some of their top advisors don't know exactly how much they want would that be right? Well, what you want is as much as you can bleed and will get, and you will move the goalposts. If someone says to me, well, I remember thinking when I'm going to sell my business, I'll take 70 million quid. And the moment I got to 70, I thought I'll have 80. And the moment I got to 80, I thought I'll have 90. And the moment I got to 90, I thought I'll have 100, and I'll keep on going till the silly buggers stop bidding. You do know you owe me 20 quid. <laughs> um, the working assumption is that they want 6 billion. I've always felt, and we've said it, and if you go back through the audio that we've done over the last six months on this, yeah. I've said this is a five to six billion pound deal. It's, if it gets any bigger than that, it's going to fall out of bed. People are going to have their pants pulled down and they're not going to do it. And even at five billion, people are breaking their own necks. You see, this is what worries a lot of Man United fans, though, Simon. Lots of proposals are for minority stakes or a simple offer of financing. So in other words, not for outright control, because... There's pessimism that the Glazers will sell even if they don't think, well, we wanted more, but but, we're not going to get more, so we'll just sell. They're not going to do that. But here's the thing, Jim. Why don't you worry about things that you can actually affect, right? Right. If the Glazers are going to take a minority shareholding because it suits them best, guess what you're going to be able to do, Man United fans? Bugger all, right? So the bottom line is, is the the less the Glazers have control over Manchester United stock, the more they start to move their position from majority shareholders, inch by inch, yard by yard, the nearer you are to a destination of getting them out. In your ideal world... Somebody comes in and says, here's five and a half or six billion quid on the nail. We'll give it to you tomorrow and out go the Glazers. In the real world, what's going to happen is you might have a deal that goes nowhere near that. You might have a change of mind from the Glazers. They might play hard ball with themselves and say, not until we get reports. Or you might have people buying minority shares. But they're all up for grabs. But the bottom line now, what's happening is you're getting, with due respect, with due respect uneducated uh, sports journalists pontificating on how a commercial deal is held together. Put this in the Financial Times and ask the Financial Times journalists to tell you how a deal is held together and they'll give you a completely different story of blow by blow. Which is sports journalism sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you have to... Not you, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about about someone else. But you have to be advised by people who you regard as a credible source. And that might be somebody at the Rain Group, that might be somebody close to the deal, that might be somebody close to the the bidders. And the Rain Group are stoking the tensions because their job is to keep everybody at it, on it, across it, keep Man United on the front page of a newspaper because the bigger the juice on Man United, the potential bigger outcome they can get for their ultimate client, which is the Glazers. Is it as simple as this? If Sir Jim bids X and the Qataris bid Y and Y is a quarter of a billion more than Sir Jim, depends on the that condi- mean the Qataris get Depends it? on the conditionality of it. Depends upon how the deal might be structured. Depends upon a variety of things. This isn't just a basically, here's a box of chocolates. They're worth 10 quid. I'll pay 12 quid for them off you go with that box of chocolates. There's a far more complicated, complex set of scenarios yeah. involved in this. Yeah. So it does require a whole raft of, of, of structuring. <laughs> so it'll take some time. Who eventually reined you in? Because when you got your first bid uh, for your mobile phone company, 
of v- Vodafone. Of, of Vodafone. V- v- no, no, no. Uh, Vodafone. Uh, 40, was it about 40 million? Yeah, Vodafone rained me in when I decided to chance it just one time too many and said, I haven't told you about this, that I'm selling the business given the fact I'm your biggest connector in the country, but now I'm going to sell it to one to one. Do you fancy buying it for 110 million? And they turned around and said, no, thank you, go away. And now I knew that I'd reached the end of the road because I'd spent the heart last three months telling one-to-one that everyone else was bidding against them and that all they were doing was bidding against themselves. Oh, you got the, them going against each yeah, other? The, the perfect auction. All right, and when you got to 100 million, you thought, I should really quit now, I've done all no, right. No, I didn't. There was no, I couldn't rinse another penny out of it. They didn't, they, even they didn't believe my lies. <laughs> Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good morning, everybody. It's kind of like deja vu, isn't it? England, Italy tonight, and it's live and talk sport. So they're at it again. It's a repeat of the Euro 2020 final. Uh, and of course, we all know what happened then, don't we? Uh, when it looked like England were going to get there, Italy won it uh, on penalties. And that still hurts so many England fans everywhere. So now a chance for revenge tonight as England get their 2024 campaign started under Gareth Southgate. Declan Rice is in there. He'll play. Of course he will. Uh, And he's been saying, don't worry about us when it comes to motivation tonight. See, I like Declan and he's making the right noises. Um, Talk street, though, isn't it? Well, here's the thing, Simon. After after what happened in Russia, uh, the semi-finals... Uh, stage of the World Cup when they went out to Croatia. To Croatia, yeah. We'll learn from that. We'll learn from that. Yes. The next World Cup. And I, I know it's, this sounds like a bitter Scot yeah. just having a dig at England, but I'm not. Uh, well, did they learn from that? No. We all go to Qatar and England went out. Well, they did and, and learn they, from it because they got to the semi-finals of the World Cup and they got to the finals of the European Championships and for once potentially on paper they got knocked out of a tournament albeit we think we should they should have beaten the French and the opportunity to do so they got knocked out by for once in a tournament on paper someone that you really don't expect to, to be able to beat which was the French side so you do you can take something from it but that's us being generous 
because when you're in the international football, uh, the business of international football, and you are the, one of the leading nations in the world, and you don't win tournaments for 50, 60 years, yeah. and you get opportunities to land in the final stages with very favourable draws, the, the lesson that you can learn is how to win. And I don't believe that we have a winner in our dugout. And so that, for me, takes out the component that no one can ever program into anything in life, which is that X factor that makes somebody different from another person, which, I mean, makes, which makes Mancini be able to outthink Southgate on the side of a touchline to win a European Championship final. I, I'm quite sure Gareth is desperate to be a winner. Of course desperate to be recognised as uh, a winner. But we're all desperate to do things. All, it doesn't mean we can. You know, and the, the key component is one thing, you know, we can all be busy fools. The object of the aim is to be winners. And there's only a few of them about. And when you see them, you've got to hang on to them for grim death. What do you see this as tonight? Is tonight the start of a new dawn or is it the start of a final one for Southgate? I think it's probably more the same. I don't think we're going to, you know, you would, unless someone's going to have a personality transplant, we're going to see the, probably the same. And given the nature of the game and given the opposition, it'll be a difficult game. The environment will also play a part because it's quite a hostile place to be and all the background noise behind the game has created a temperature that will probably be ramped up even higher by the Italians reading their own press. Yeah. Um, I don't expect anything of them. I would, If England win, I wouldn't be surprised. If they, I, mean, I know this sounds ridiculously uninformative, but if they win, I wouldn't be surprised. If they lost, I wouldn't be surprised. If they drew and bored the pants off us, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, but you see, this might surprise you. Victory tonight in England, in uh, Italy, will mean only Sir Alf Ramsey has been quicker to a half century of wins in charge of England. I and, mean, and, so that's, and that's great. He's got, he's but got at, England into a good position. And that's great. When and it comes to and, the and, stats. And it's fair to say that if we want to, we can all use stats to make an argument in our favour, or we can dissect the opposition that we played against and compare and contrast. If we want to do a proper analysis of how people have done as England managers, get the opposition, put them line for line against one another, and say, what did South so Alf Ramsey do against the opposition, and what did Gareth Southgate do against his opposition? I don't think playing some of the pub sides that we played in World Cup qualifiers and European Championship qualifiers suggest that we're ultimately seeing a new dawn with Gareth Southgate. What we've seen is a far more media-centric football manager that relates to an ability to be able to communicate better. Right, we've had previous managers that yeah, are at odds yeah. with England, with the England, with the English media that are at odds with everything, and find themselves in a totally. So remember the old Yellow Pages adverts where you know Bobby Robson phoned up Graham Taylor and Graham Taylor phoned up Terry Venables and sent them a cake with a lion's head in it. That was the perception of the England manager's job. Now Gareth Southgate's managed to smooth that iron those creases out and find a better way to communicate. But it's beginning to turn again because people are, be are saying that they're not comfortable with what Southgate does. This is. We are in the last hurrah. We cannot not be. Because if we'll qualify, if we don't qualify... So if you're in the last hurrah, does that not unite everybody? Does that not unite well, every England fan, well, you, the England media, even, even the Gareth like you? Or does it make you a lame duck? Right? Because ultimately, on one hand, we say in domestic football, if people's contracts are running down, you know they're in the last hurrah, then what do players play for them for? In this instance, we're in the last hurrah from the point of view we cannot have the Gareth Southgate apologists and sympathisers, the Danny Mills of the world, that pop out of the ether with their uninformed nonsense, that tell us that ultimately he's a winner. So with that in mind, winning means winning. So we are in a situation now... I'm just counting where, down nine, Yeah, before eight, he pops up with his seven, rubbish. Yeah. Six, I'm just uh, reading yeah, the text. Yeah. But we're in a situation now where the last hurrah means you need to win this tournament coming up. Anything other than winning this tournament has to be, with due respect and no agenda attached to it, the end of the conversation. Is it your belief England will win the tournament? Not while I've got a hole in my backside, no. Oh, thank you for that. Sorry, quite there's, an, there's an image for you all. Talking about backsides. How's, I, I, how's it going yeah, for you? That was a lovely image. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I must admit, I, I think now, that more than ever before, I, I would have to say that amongst the players, there will be 
almost an irresistible drive and desire to win what, what, a tournament what, because this is probably the final one for Gareth. And so, so let, let's have this right. You believe that the deep-seated sentiment these players will have is that we must do it for our Gareth. We're so committed to our Gareth that there will be no stone unturned. Stone unturned. There'll be no barriers. There'll be no obstacles we won't overcome. Rubbish. They'll revert to type. They'll do what they do. And if they do what they do better, then they'll win something. Mm. The $64 million question they is... They convince him to stay, remember? That, oh, please, don't be so bloody silly. What convinced him to say is the fact that he's got a very good job in the England manager setup. There is a, a, a level of competency and a level of ambition in Gareth Southgate that's propelled him into a position where he was a really rather average centre half yeah. that got himself into the England setup. And here we are now as an England manager. Okay. So, with all that in mind, of course, Gareth Southgate's got balls, of course, he's got substance. But we're not interested in all that. What we're interested in, has he got the ability to win something? And do you think now going into this, at last he will? He'll show that? No, you know I don't. Okay. Italy against England is live in talk sport tonight. Incidentally, what did you have for your breakfast this morning? Nothing. You are flying boy. <laughs> it's when you wear that Coffee. pink handkerchief. All right. That's how it seems to fire you up. 100% engagement. Outspoken with White and Jordan. What am I seeing? Gee, was the texts are flying in after you had your take on uh, Italy-England tonight and what it means for England longer term. There is a Middlesbrough fan, I respect Simon's view, but as a Borough fan of 30 years, to say that Southgate was an average centre-half is an absolutely ridiculous statement. Had he been playing for one of the top clubs, reproducing his form at Middlesbrough, he would have been in one of the top three centre-halves in the country. And that's right, and if my aunt was my uncle... Um, but he wasn't playing for one of the top clubs, he was playing for Middlesbrough. And the reason why he's playing for Middlesbrough is because none of the top clubs wanted him. So how'd you square that circle then? Yeah, but I, I mean, what is it? You, you just, you, I, th I think you, you just don't fancy centre halves, do you? I mean, you've had a. I do. I fancy One of the most eye opening things for me was seeing John Terry play against Palace in a friendly game in 2002 when he was only just establishing himself in the Chelsea team. And I looked at him and thought, what a Rolls Royce that is. Can I have him alone, please, Ken? And he told me to go forth and multiply. Hmm. So I do like good centre halves. I think good centre halves are, are as rare as rocking horse. Yeah, I mean the the first sentence of your much read column in the Daily Mail this morning: Harry Maguire, a mediocre centre half, being picked by a man who knows all about being mediocre centre half. There you go. Will be in England's team sheet tonight. Yes. Is that not a fair analysis? That's constructive, isn't it? I think constructive it's analysis. I think it's, I think it's honest and to the point. We can all we can all dress mediocre. Yeah, of course he's mediocre. Did but you, in your time at Palace, did you ever have a centre-half who was as good as Harry Maguire? No, but then Palace were a mediocre side. And Palace still are a mediocre side. We're talking about elite sides. We're talking about the best in the country. We're talking about the idea that Harry... What I'm actually doing is praising Harry Maguire for not having the same attitude as some of these players at down tools. I'm saying to him, for the first time in his career, he's actually playing for an elite manager. I may have made fun of uh, Ten Hag's suit, but the guy is potentially showing the fact he's an elite manager. Maguire's never played for one. He's played for Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Forget that one. That's not an elite manager. He's played for the Leicester guys that weren't elite managers at the time. He's gone into England. He's not, not playing for an elite manager now. First time he's an elite manager, guess what? He ain't in the team. I mean, I don't really want to highlight your column because I, I don't really want anybody reading it. <laughs> but the headline then, Simon says, why Maguire has earned my respect. Ah, there you are then, see? See, focus on the positive. He's earned my respect because he's trying to find his way back into the side rather than throwing his tools down, looking to nick a living like people like Winston Bogart did once upon a time, right. looking to behave like people like Ryan Fraser, the old turd boy, and get himself into a situation where he doesn't behave in a fashion that's appropriate and commit himself to trying to p prove other people wrong. He stayed there. He's trying to play in the Man United team. He's trying to pr prove people like me potentially wrong. I've said it and I'll say it again. I think he turns like an ocean liner. I think he's a very big centre-half that would be doing very well at a certain level, but he ain't no Man United centre-half for the long term to win mm. things with. 
And you need to have a, a, a chat anyway, with your sub-editors. An, another popularity bit, contest I'm winning. Is the headline not a bit misleading? Simon says why Maguire has earned my respect. No, because the summary is, you, as you will well know, being an established journalist, you have an introduction, you have a summary and a conclusion. The introduction is why I think he's mediocre. The summary is to give you a background behind it. And the conclusion is that I think he deserves some respect for trying to push back against it, trying to play, always being available, coming mm. on for two minutes in FA Cup ties when he's yeah. called upon. So I think that deserves respect in a strange sort of through a looking glass way yeah it's a, it's a very good column I must admit I was distracted you like about it? halfway through I had a good it. go at your old Sky Mob no, for being hypocrites oh really for all their anti-discrimination stuff by promoting the backside out of the uh, Saudi Arabian um, Grand Prix hypocrites mm. I had a go at the old Dullard Alan Shearer okay. for, for his little outburst on Saturday about being uh, we're put in a position we didn't want to let the country down but you don't know what the difficulty of it was for us preposterous tripe uh, what has Lee Clinton done at a deal I know by giving it's you a dangerous call? isn't it welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation outspoken with White and Jordan from the world's biggest sports radio station talk sport thanks for listening to outspoken with White and Jordan please leave us a review wherever you get your podcast We'll be back each weekday to bring you the best of the show. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.